Hey everybody, time for another Shop Talk show. This is episode number 254, which is, it's going to have something to do with realities that have been virtualized or, or something like that. It's brought to you in part by Anne Event Apart, AnneEventApart.com and CodePen, CodePen.io. Uh, it's going to be fun. We have two people representing two different companies that have a lot to do with these realities that have been virtualized. Uh, and we're going to get into just our, my own ignorance about it and how it works and what the hardware and software is about it and web frameworks and just what the future of it is and the philosophy of it and just everything that has to do with it. I was, uh, you know, I record these intros after the show. I, I so I've I've listened to this particular show already, and I found it absolutely fascinating. It leveled up my understanding of these realities that have been virtualized quite a bit. For now, Mr. Dave, kick things off. Hey there, Shopping Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to, to, to the virtual, 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 cyber, 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 sphere, sphere, sphere. I'm Dave, 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 Rupert, 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 with me is Chris, 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 Coy, Coy. Oh, I'm imagining you saying that in like lasers of pink and blue and and chrome. Looking really good in my brain right now. Uh, it feels like the future, a beautiful future in which that reality is given to us in different ways i don't know i don't know we're always bad at Segway. these intro things but uh as you can see probably by looking down at the phone that you're probably listening to this from the topic this week is uh is vr virtual reality and we have two amazing guests on who uh come from different companies who can talk to us about different things and stuff about VR and you know this is a web show and there's 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 such a thing as web VR we're going to get into all of that in a minute we have uh Josh Carpenter hey Josh hello howdy uh coming at us from from Goog right that's correct yeah from Google and Mountain View slash San Francisco fantastic we'll get into uh some of your lineage I guess in a second and and Kevin no hey Kevin hello Howdy. Uh, and f from the other side of the fence, I suppose, from Mozilla land. <laughs> the Moz, yeah. Also in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Literally, literally across the <laughs> plaza. Maybe there somehow, literally is a fence. There's it literally, like how many browsers are there in the world? And somehow Firefox and Chrome managed to occupy literally the same city block. Not only the uh, same city block, but there are uh, four blocks upstairs for some teams. Yeah. Uh, four like four a, floors upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. A, and and so it's so great that the internet connects us together by I know. Yeah. <laughs> putting the buildings next to each the, other. <laughs> the promise of decentralization realized in a single building. So it turns out that you can actually some occasionally leave one company and go to the other company, right, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just get a different badge. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that is uh, was true for you in a sense, right? You were Mozilla for a, for a minute at the like earlier VR stuff, and then and then popped over to Google. Tell us your story. I, I was a design agency kid and a home automation guy in Vancouver, Canada, 
uh, where I grew up. And then I decided I kind of wanted to go and, and check out this, this the big tech thing. So I went down to Mozilla and had the fortune to work on uh, the Firefox OS project, which was just the right kind of crazy and ambitious for, for my taste. And I worked on that as the UX lead for a couple of years. Wow. And then the UX lead the, for Mo- Mozilla OS, like the one that chipped on phones for a minute? Yeah, yeah, the interaction OS, which was, um, I, I've, it, in my portfolio, um, I did a write-up on how mind-numbingly frustrating that was um, as a project. But uh, we did have a chance to do a 2.0, kind of a blank slate, mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun. We actually got to think really deeply about, well, what do we love about mobile? and What do we love about the web? And what is sort of the intersection between those two things? Um, how can we... Um, how can we draw on the things that are unique about the web's DNA to do something really different and special? And we were really happy with what the uh, the 2.0 concept ended up being. But yeah. by the end of that process, it had been about a good two and a half years of intense work. Uh, Carmack was had just announced he was going to Oculus, John Carmack. Um, and uh, and for anyone who knows anything about gaming or 3D, that, that's a big deal. It's like when that guy gets up and goes anywhere, you know that something is going to actually happen for real. And meanwhile, I've been at Mozilla watching the uh, Web Games Initiative get off the ground and literally Game Steam, Gain Steam in the form of a WebGL and WebAssembly was kind of an ASMJS was in a nascent form at that point. And I thought, if VR is real and 3D in the web is real, then it seems like these are this is like the peanut butter and chocolate opportunity of our time to combine the web and VR and maybe sort of help to usher in something that could become like the uh, uh, the the science fiction metaverse, maybe if we squint our eyes enough. Nice, uh, yeah. And it's so, interesting um, to talk to somebody who makes choices based, uh, or at least to some degree, on like where where the world is headed. I want to go there. There's so many of us that are just swimming for just like, hey, whatever. They just they said they'd pay me some money, so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I, my my life advice would be to avoid having a mortgage. <laughs> I'm actually like not joking. It's it's really nice to not have debt because you can go do things like that. But but yeah, then I started um, the Moz VR team with Vlad Bikicevic and KCE, an R and D team just dedicated to try and figure out. Well, can you put the web and VR together? Interesting. So you, it was that was the the first attempt at that. Yeah, yeah. And we worked across the fence with Brandon Jones over at Google. Um, and then uh, the MozVR team grew and grew and did some amazing stuff. Kevin joined. And uh, I took a sabbatical about a year ago now to kind of go and just check out the chessboard and, and see what I wanted to do next after a couple of years there. And uh, Google came a calling saying, you know, we're the, the dragon's about to sort of wake. We're going to try and take this WebVR thing seriously. Uh, and that was a, about a six-day process of having that first conversation and then uh, signing an offer letter to go do it because it was kind of like getting a phone call from China to work on climate change. Like it's kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> like if you care about this field, it was a really nice phone call to get. And it, it's uh, so I've been there for the last year working on uh, Chrome VR. Okay, fantastic, good intro. You can and Josh is at joshcarpenter.ca, and you can f- kind of follow some of this timeline. It's a very nice personal site where you can kind of follow these big projects that you worked on and what you have to say about them. Uh, uh, how about your story, Kevin? Where did you fit into that picture and the timeline of, of VR? Yeah, so I was, I started looking at VR a long time ago. I was a big gamer, and I've been following it since the DK1 came out. I would watch YouTube videos of people playing, and I, I don't even know what DK1 is. <laughs> Developer Kit 1. And okay. For the Oculus, right? Yeah, so I, I couldn't have one, so I would just watch people playing it. And then once the D- DK2 came out, I, I pre-ordered one. So I worked at Mozilla ever pretty much my whole career. Um, mm-hmm. I graduated maybe four years ago from college. I was an intern at Mozilla. I got a job at Mozilla. And then after a couple of years working there, I just went downstairs and I said, Hi to Josh. And since then, I started working on the Mozilla VR team. And that was 
about September 2015. The old march downstairs and be like, hi, I like VR. I want to work on this team. <laughs> pretty much how it went. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. So, Josh, you said you're kind of more on the design UX side. Is mm-hmm. that right? Um, and then, Kevin, you're more on the technical code side. Is that Yeah, I'm a- uh, if to, to pigeonhole both of y'all in your skill sets. But uh, so what's your background then, Kevin? Is it like like C coding? Like you're doing like shaders and things like that? Or is it like you're, you're just kind of web, like front-end technology? Uh, my background is in full-stack web development. I started as a back-end Python programmer, and I've been itching my way towards the front-end ever since then. And now I do pretty much completely front-end. I have so many zillions of questions about this. That's why hopefully this will make for an interesting show, because you, you can educate me on on everything, because I know so little. I know, Dave, you actually own one of the headset things, right? So you have more experience than I do. What do you own, Dave? I have, I have the DK2. I got it. Uh, a friend of mine uh, convinced me to get it. It was, I just, he was like, it's $300. And I was like, I have, I'm dumb and I will spend this. And so I just got it. Uh, it's good. But then I got out spec'd, you know, because it, they changed the specs and then I couldn't use it on my Mac anymore. Uh, so it kind of just went on a shelf and then I switched to windows and I was very excited, but it doesn't work on a surface, uh, pro. And so, uh, I haven't used it, but, uh, now I have a big gaming rig that I use, so I could plug it in. I just haven't. And I don't know why, but I also am looking at getting like a brand new headset. So I, I so, okay. So that covers me and Dave and our like limited knowledge of, of what it is. I, I want like, what's an example, like one from each of you of, of like an, a compelling VR thing that, I don't know that you're compelled by like why why should the world care about VR like what's one thing gaming is certainly one of them right Kevin yeah that's something I do a lot yeah and that's still real right people like the gaming world is taking VR pretty seriously or no yeah they're I think they're at the forefront most of the community is niche gamers that are consumers of VR cool and and what do you think about uh, uh, Josh, is, is gaming like the big one, or is there other like you like why like wh- why is it uh-huh. that you, that this is like the call from China or to work on climate change? Like, what's such a big deal about? It? Well, I mean, for for VR broadly, like I'll talk about web VR, but VR just as a broad industry and computing medium, I would argue, I think what's exciting is sort of the combination of um, awe and wonder that presence gives you. Like, we've never had a computing medium that could make a person feel as though they're on top of a roller coaster with sweaty palms, you know, that's just new. That is nothing else is like had enabled that. And then the second thing, which I think is sometimes underappreciated is the importance of, of these motion controls. It's not just that we feel like we're in these worlds. It, our hands are there with us. And so, uh, you know, I, I, as a, someone who started off from the design track and is still, I think most heavily a designer, um, what kept me up to 4am was never necessarily playing other people's experiences. It was building my own. Like as a designer, going from working on a flat surface to standing on top of a building that I made in VR, feeling the scale of the thing, or painting with my hands in tilt brush, um, that is something that is just uh, was revelatory. That was you know? my so first me- experience was the tilt brush thing. So the, the tilt brush is like if is okay. different than there, if there's nothing web VR about tilt brush, right? Tilt brush is like software that you download and install like any other program and run it and it works with your VR equipment, but it's not in a browser. It has nothing to do with browsers, right? 
or am I wrong about? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a native application that you download from Steam, you install and run. Oh, okay. Uh, I did it at a friend's house. I was with I was over at Sarah Dresner's and her husband Dizzy D works at DigitalOcean and they, they bought a big box and they, I think they have the Vive and they put the headset on and the only thing I've ever done in VR was tilt brush and as soon as you put it on it really is immersive it's you know like the sweaty palms thing like like Josh it's amazing the UI is amazing your hands are there with you like you said you're tilting around and using controls and it all feels very extremely cool um, and satisfying so like, but this is where it stops like somebody just put that thing on my head like I don't know if I if I wanted to do that at my house, like I wouldn't even know where to begin. And when I start looking into it, I see the, it seems like there's like stuff. There's pre plenty of prerequisites involved here. There's like there's hardware and there's software and there's these headsets and stuff. And a lot of this conversation usually starts with the headsets. And so if we like, if I look in my research, if I go from from cheap to expensive, it kind of starts at the the Google cardboard level, right? Which is like 15 bucks. And then there's like this other Google thing called the daydream view or something. That's more, it's like 80 bucks, but those are both in the category of like, put your phone in it, I think. Um, and then it starts going up from there where these, the, the high end, it seems like to me is the rift and the vibe and stuff, which are like, you know, 600, 800 dollars. So, I don't know. Can you, can one of you take a crack at explaining to me like what I need to experience this stuff and, and like what the difference between it all is? As you mentioned, the cardboard is finished free in Daydream. It just works with your phone where you plop it in. And that's also true for the Gear VR. But generally, you need a high end phone as well. So you need a $800 phone. <laughs> and I can't play with, like, for example, Tilt Brush on it because Tilt Brush is not for phone. Oh no, the experience that you get on a mobile device is nowhere near what you'll get on a room scale VR experience where you have your hands and you can actually walk around, turn around, lay down. Yeah, I've heard that term used a bunch too, room scale. Can you tell me what that means? I mean, I guess I can understand. It's like a the scale of a room. Yeah, so pretty much you can walk around um, or just at least move your head around. So. This means you have six dot tracking, six uh, degrees, and you can move in every direction and you can rotate and all that's picked up. As opposed to mobile, you can only have three DOF, which is you can three degrees of freedom, which means you can only rotate. So you can't, if you see an object in front of you, you can't move your head towards it. You can only just look around as opposed to room scale. You can walk close to it. You can pick it up. Yeah. But I can't just keep walking forever, right? Because I'll literally run into the wall of the actual room that I'm in. <laughs> Unless you have a giant gymnasium. But it, <laughs> yeah. it depends on the, the bounds of the, your tracking that you set up. So you have a, for the Vive at least, you have a lighthouse or a sensor in each corner of your room. Uh-huh. And for the Rift, currently it's a little bit more limited. You have two front-facing sensors. The problem with that is if you turn around and you um, occlude... The, the sensors on your controllers, you'll lose tracking. As opposed to the Vive, you'll have pretty much solid tracking no matter how you turn or flip. I see, because of, of how, like, with the Vive, you literally, like, have gotten a ladder out and installed, like, actual things in the in the room you intend to use it in, like, in the upper corners of the room. Maybe not a ladder. Maybe for me, I need a ladder, but maybe it's only, like, seven, seven feet high, six feet high. You just oh, okay. pop up a tripod or light stand. Some people mount it to the walls. 
and then like, like so, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around it all. So forgive me if if this is more like elementary than you were expecting the the questions to be. But it, like, it, let's say there's some game would you know like like if you a new game comes out for PlayStation, it might be exclusive to PlayStation or for whatever the game the gaming company could have possibly decided to release it on both Xbox and PlayStation at multi-platform thing is it the same kind of thing do they have to kind of like release a game for both Rift and Vive in it in it's like different code it's like they have to write it twice kind of I think it depends on the, the tools that you use like for example most I think the majority of content created for VR today is made in Unity um, which is a game development engine and Unity sort of abstracts away the need, a lot of the need to worry about being multi-platform away from the developer. Um, that's oversimplifying slightly. You obviously have to take into account sort of the different ergonomics of the different systems, the different inputs, the different constraints. Uh-huh. Um, but a tool like Unity makes it a lot easier. Uh, and I think that's also one of the promises of WebVR is that uh, with WebVR, you have a, so long as you have a device that runs WebGL, in theory, you're able to actually access um, uh, a view into uh, the same experience. So, if, for example, uh, Kevin makes a 3D world using A-Frame or one of these, or a tool like that, uh, if I have an Oculus plugged into a VR-capable desktop browser, I can step into that world and actually be inside of it with my motion controls in my hands. Uh, but if I just have an iPhone, for example, uh, I can hit up that same URL, hold up my iPhone in front of me, and then using the accelerometers and, and the sensors on the device. Uh, kind of approximate a, a magic window into that same world. I, again, I don't have the sense of immersion, but at least I can still look inside of it in a sort of kind of progressive enhancement, uh, responsive web design, uh, if you squint your eyes, uh, fashion. Okay, let, so maybe it's worth jumping right towards this this web VR thing, because that seems like a big... It, it seems like the same kind of promise as, like, why make a website instead of a native app for any reason, it's the same kind of thing, right? If we can bring VR to the web, then it brings VR to, I don't know, it just makes like distribution of VR stuff a heck of a lot easier, right? Is that, is that why, why web VR? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I tend to take maybe um, a slightly kind of longer term perspective on this. Um, the future of computing is becoming inexorably three-dimensional. Like there is no future of computing where it is flatter than it is today um, on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, the other trend in computing that is consistent is that computing becomes less alien, more human. And each time we sort of make an improvement on the degree to which computing is more human, uh, we unlock new use cases, new jobs to be done, uh, new economic models. Uh, so if you think about kind of the, I think it was like the post-Civil War census-taking machine, which was about as alien and mechanical a computer as you could imagine, kind of a pre-pseudo-computer, through to the iPhone and touch, and touch being the most unbelievably intuitive, magical input system you could ever imagine, uh, that that arc, uh, I think, is going to continue forward. And so virtual reality, when I look at it, um, and augmented reality as well, as it sort of bubbles up, are sort of the next steps on that progression of computing becoming more yeah, There's no way we're done intuitive. with just screens. We're not, we're not going to just stop at a screen and be like, no, nah, this is perfect. We're done. Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing is, I mean, what a screen is is the presentation of information on a 2D surface. Like the presentation of information on a 2D surface is not going to go away. Uh, it's just a really efficient way of packing information in for humans to look at. But the devices and the interaction models uh, around that could change. So you're walking, I mean, you've obviously seen augmented reality visions of the future walking down the street. A lot of those things being projected into the world around you are, are three-dimensional, um, but they're also flat plane. So to bring it back to the web, like if we care about the web, and I think everyone listening to this probably does, we have to, I think, look at where computing is going 
and then think about, well, what is it that the web brings that we love, that we think is going to be just as vital and just as awesome in that future, but then also just as critically, what is the web missing that it needs to add to be awesome in that future? And you've got to sort of think ahead and then build towards that vision. And so that really, the investment we've been making in WebVR for the last three years and the work we're doing day to day, I think is all in service of that longer term vision and road. So it's nice that there's at least two browsers working on this, right? So that there's not, because, you know, it's the show, if this is a bunch of web people listening to the show, we know that there's there's standards and that we're, we're possibly, maybe you could call in some kind of golden age of standards and that all, the, all these browsers are like largely agreeing on that standards are good and that uh, we kind of live in that world now and people get yelled at when they do things that aren't standardized and, and that kind of thing. Is that, is there a standard for WebVR? Is there, is it go through that same kind of kind of thing? There's browser level APIs that are like, give me a sphere or is it not quite that yeah. low level? What? What's like a browser need to be VR, web VR compatible? So the key thing is there is a web VR API. Uh, web VR API allows a developer uh, to detect the presence of a headset, to extract from that headset the parameters that they need, such as where the headset's currently looking, what the field of view of that display is, et cetera. Oh, so it's uh, like an the accelerometer or something similar kind of API. Yeah, I think that's probably roughly analogous. Um, and then to push a WebGL rendering uh, to that head back to that headset so that the user, when they put on the headset, is seeing a WebGL world, essentially. And as they turn their head, the WebGL world gets that tracking data and updates itself to make sure that where you're looking in the real world matches where you're looking in the WebGL world. So it's, it's, it's WebGL. It's not... It's WebGL currently, yeah. That's right. Um, but then that, that's just the WebVR API that allows talking to the headset. Um, as we look forward, we're also seeing an explosion in new input devices. Obviously, uh, there's 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 what you know three DOF motion control fully tracked in three D space systems, um, and as you look forward into virtual and augmented reality, one of the things that makes these new computing paradigms so interesting is that you're going to continue to see I think it's quite safe to say um, a speciation of the input technology uh, uh, as we go forward. So unlike mobile, where mobile was pretty much fixed when Steve Jobs got up on stage and held up the iPhone, I mean a lot of the same sensors, the same hardware capabilities were sort of baked at that point and haven't changed that much, VR and AR are going to continue to change really rapidly. So I don't think we're going to stop at the web VR API. There'll be an umbrella of APIs and best practices and, and MD browsers that will sort of, as an, an aggregate, I think, form what comes to be thought of as the immersive web. You know, we had desktop web, mobile web. And as we look forward, we can imagine uh, the immersive web as well, which includes both VR and AR. And that's like that kind of, I think you called it a speciation. Um, it's kind of already prevalent, right? There's lots of different input types for VR. Like if, if I have, if I'm just on a desktop with the 3d scene, you know, I can mouse click and drive around kind of like a first person shooter, um, with my keyboard and mouse, or I could plug in a game pad and like drive around like that. If I put it in a cardboard or something, you know, I can now look at things like whatever I'm looking at, I can click on kind of using like a, a, a looking click sort of thing. And then, you know, how I move around the scene in the cardboard is different than how I move around with a mouse and keyboard. Uh, and Vive's got the two little hand things, right? I don't even know what Oculus have. It seems like the Daydream Vive comes has with the a little controller. Things. It's all different. Maybe in the future I got some, like, David Bowie and Labyrinth sphere in my hand <laughs> that I'm, like, just turning the sphere to do things. That's what you mean. Like, there's a million in input types, and it might as well just support whatever. 
Yeah. And I think that, that, so this is, I find this part really fascinating. Um, uh, the web is sort of this meta platform. The web sort of transcends any individual computing vertical, whether it's an operating system or a, or a hardware platform. That's one of the things we love about the web is its universal reach. Now that universal reach is a heck of a lot easier when the underlying platforms are mostly uniform. You know, the web came along by in desktop computing at the point, by the point at which desktop computing had sort of stabilized, everything had a desktop a keyboard and a mouse and a GUI, right? And so Tim Berners-Lee could sort of like create the web and know that it was going to be consistent from desktop PC to desktop PC. And the same thing has been true largely in mobile. Mobile Safari comes along, reinvents browsing in the 3.5-inch touchscreen, and it's been pretty much stable since then. But in virtual reality, a developer has to take into account such a, a, a such a diversity of input devices already today, as you say, but even more so in the future. And so the economics are slightly different. The economics are also slightly different because uh, uh, it, what you put on a headset for is so much more about awe and wonder in virtual reality than pure information. And the web has typically, I think, been really good at conveyance of pure information, not so much at like, oh my God, awe is and wonder. Is the awe temporary all... though? Because I mean, ideally we just move past that and it just becomes useful and not awe-inspiring. I, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think so. I think that the reason VR exists as a medium, the thing that it has that uh, is different and more meaningfully different than desktop and mobile is the fact that it creates this belief in your lizard brain that you are in another world. Yeah, it will so continue tricking that, that lizard brain forever. Exactly. Now, I think that the way of maybe framing the question is how many hours of the day do I want that? You know, like, right. okay, on wonder and being in the Sahara Desert under the ocean is really cool, but maybe that's like a one hour a day kind of activity. Like most of the day, I'm trying to get work done or I'm trying to go get groceries. Like I don't need that kind of on wonder. So I think that that's sort of a... What's a peripheral question that everyone working in virtual reality, uh, I think, is, trying, is asking yeah. themselves right what now. sci-fi authors did... are asking themselves every day. Yeah, absolutely. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by An Event Apart. That's aneventapart.com. It's a conference series. You know, they take the show on the road. Really brilliant speakers and me. And even the attendees are smart at An Event Apart. Uh, uh, it's a three-day web conference. There's two days of single track, really great talk after talk after talk. And then the last day is called A Day Apart, which is workshops. The, the one coming up most soon to now is Seattle. It's Monday through Wednesday, April 3rd through 5th. So get on it. If you're in Seattle or want to come to Seattle or or whatever, come to the Seattle show. I'll be speaking at it. I'll be doing a panel on it. I'll be doing the workshop on the last day. I'm absolutely excited about it. It's going to be so much fun. I, I My workshop it's going to be all about building a website, but as an excuse to just talk about front-end web design and development, like this show, but all day and just looking at code and digging into code and building the site and talking about our job. It's going to be cathartic and amazing, and I just look forward to it very much. That's April 3rd through 5th in Seattle, an event apart. Uh, if you can't make it to Seattle, come to Boston, May 15th through 17th. Come to D.C. in July, Chicago in August, San Francisco at the end of October, and the big special edition show is in Denver this year in December. So, you know, there's a bunch of options to come to Event Apart. We'd love to see you in, in Seattle, but if you can't make Seattle, come to one of these other ones. It's just a fantastic uh, 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 conference event. It's like, you know, maybe you've listened to a couple episodes ago where we had... Una Kravitz and Crystal Higgins on who are speaking at the Seattle event. We talked about, you know, in part what a special conference and event in part is. It's like big ideas are are made and sometimes forged at event in part, you know? Responsive design with Ethan Marcotte, mobile first. 
uh, with Luke Rublinski. Everybody's got like a thing. It's like big ideas happening. It's like sets the stage for front-end development in a way. I just, I like it and I like to be a part of it and I want to see you there. Anaventapart.com. So we didn't, we haven't even mentioned this very big, cool thing um, that you worked on originally and Kevin now is a big, it's a big Kevin thing, A-Frame. Kevin, can you tell us what A-Frame is and how it fits into all this? Yeah, something Josh and I and other developers on my team, such as uh, Diego, Chris Van, and Casey Yee worked on. It's a web framework for building virtual reality experiences. And we at the Mozilla VR team created to make it easier to produce content for web developers to produce content for this new web VR platform. Content driven, right? So, if th- so okay, there's, there's an API that allows me to, whatever, blast some web stuff into a, into a headset, but like, there, that doesn't make WebGL any easier, right? This is, this is the, the idea is that it makes it easier. There, there, I, I really understand very little of it. There, now there's a thing that says, give me a sphere, and there's an easy uh, syntax for that. Yeah, WebGL is out of reach to many web developers, so we created, we present an HTML-like API. So with just an HTML file, you just put a scene element, and within that a scene element, you can put elements like a sphere, or a box, or a cylinder, or a model. And just with that small little HTML file, you can just display VR content in your browser, and you can jump in with the Vive, the Rift, uh, mobile, desktop, any platform. Uh, it, it, it helps with that abstraction to to the different devices. Yeah, and it works out well. Uh, it also brings in patterns from the game development industry, such as Unity. So we have a entity component pattern, which we bring from Unity. It's kind of like every object in the scene is an entity, and it's like an empty object, and you create little components to plug into those objects to add behavior and functionality and logic. Behavior, too. So like if I want to... Like, what's something compelling that you see people doing with A-Frame? Like, what's something that's like, wow, that, that's why we built this. That's so cool. People are doing a lot of experimentation in the room scale VR space. So that's where the future VR is heading right now is that's the high-end VR, which we have more freedom in terms of user experience. So you have both your controllers. And something that we've done is we've done a kind of a clone of Tilt Brush at, called A-Painter. So you just hit... A URL. It's aframe.o slash a painter, a dash painter, and you can actually find it on the homepage aframe.io. And this is a tilt brush experience that you can use your controllers and you can draw just like in tilt brush, but in the browser. And what's cool is once you're done with it, you can save your painting. You get a link and you can just share it to anyone on Twitter. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I love URLs. Those are pretty good. Yeah, they're very easy to access. <laughs> oh man. There's this crazy Balrog thing in here. Oh, that's great. So I, I I do find that interesting. While I was in a room and people were playing with Tilt Brush, or I guess we could have been playing with A-Painter too because they seem in the same sphere, that there's like this 2D experience that's uh, that's like comes along for the ride. Like when somebody's got the Vive on, they're doing the they're in there and i was in there and it was so it was so awesome you know you're just anything you do it even took me a minute to realize just quite where i was and that i draw these things and then walk around them and continue drawing and it's just it was just great and then but everybody else in the room got to play along because they got to to see what i was seeing 
on the screen. Do you think that's important to like have that? I mean, it seemed important to me to have this because like if you get buy the Vive, it's not like you're buying five Vives for everybody in the room to hang out together in there. It seems like a two D thing. Yeah, right now it's a VR is like a very social experience. It's kind of a hey, come over. I have a Vive. Check it out. Um, yeah. It's something that you show off to your friends and family. Uh, people right now it's just people gather on the couch and watch one person play. There are also asynchronous multiplayer games where one person is in VR and there's other people controlling the experience outside. So there's a game called Diner Duo where one person cooks burgers and the other person's the waitress and hands in all the orders and serves all the drinks. Um, one person right. in VR. So multiplayer is totally uh, it's, it's happening. Yeah, and then there's synchronous multiplayer where everyone's in VR together. So it seems like so A-Frame does a lot, right? It's not a very it's not like a little light little tiny little framework on on top of some APIs just for convenience or something. It's um, doing it's doing a lot. Yeah, it's it's our Unity killers, our Unity for the web. <laughs> <laughs> so if you wanted to get into I, web VR, yeah. it's kind of like sort of kind of like the only way, right? Or like would you would you even try to to do it? I wouldn't say it's the only way. Um, I I call out some other frameworks. There's React VR. Uh, there's 3GS, which is what A-Frame is a framework for. Um, okay. And but A-Frame so far for the web VR community has been has produced the majority of content just because it's so easy to get into. You just need to know HTML, something that kids educators can get into. I, I will vouch for it. The API is amazing. Like I just it's you just you're in there. You write some HTML and you're creating 3D stuff. Uh, it's unusual to me in that it really is an HTML API, right? It's like it looks a little bit like web components. It's like it's not it's not like it's more like SVG than Canvas <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah, the the outermost abstraction layer is HTML, and we have a lot of um, magic to extend HTML to do some things like the any component system. And then underneath we have a JavaScript API to register components, and also the API for, say, manipulating the HTML, it's just exactly the same as in normal web development. You do your set attribute, your create element. It's very familiar yeah. for web developers. All right, I got an idea. I'm going to make, like, a whack-a-mole with little Dave Ruperts that pop up out of little holes, you know? And you, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and you can walk around it, you know, like you're really there, you're really at Chuck E. Cheese, and little Daves are popping up out of these holes, and I, like, smack them down with my thing. Like, I could do that in A-Frame, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. You could probably, you could probably do that in less than a day. <laughs> you think so? Like in one day, Chris, make a whack a This day? is how we make money. This is how we make money off this podcast, Chris. Oh. <laughs> We're going to sell a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just register HTML elements like A Dave's, and then you just add event listener, whack Dave, and then... <laughs> Right, so that, awesome. that takes me out of the declarative mode, though, right? Because when you're adding event listeners, you're probably in... Yeah, but for web, de- well, for web developers, it's it's very a traditional thing. But yeah. you can, I mean, you can throw on React on top of A-Frame if you want to do all your states. Or you can uh, use components that actually hook in logic into your HTML. So say there's like an event set component. you In the HTML, you say event set equals an event name and then you give something to set so you can actually do everything from html if you want to wire it up that way and then i have like a club but like i have to write a little logic right that's like if vive then i know that i have a right hand control unit that 
like seems rather club like. But if not Vive, you know, if web and all I have is a mouse, then I probably code some other kind of thing that makes it more mouse friendly. There, you, you'll have to do some of that stuff on your own. Well, out of the box, A-Frame gives you a nice set of configurations. So it works with mouse and desktop and mobile out of the box. You'll need to set up a camera or any, anything like that. And if you want to add controllers, there's a couple lines of HTML. If you want to do like an if Vive, if mobile thing, yeah. you can do something called register component. And then once you do that, you just attach that component via HTML. So you do like like a controller Vive only HTML attribute. Okay. So, oh man, I feel like I'm gonna come out of this podcast about seven hundred dollars less. This is getting. Bad. How am I? How okay. are we gonna get Dave's? Fa- what kind of equipment do we need to like model Dave? Is that are, are people in VR compelling yet, or is there, are they a little? It seems like geometry is a little easier to like do than a person. Yeah, it's photorealistic. It's it's much easier to pass something off abstract rather than something fully photorealistic because it might get a little bit creepy. But if you have <laughs> yeah. if you have just like a, a sphere with a little some mesh yeah. lines that give some emotions, um, it comes off a lot more fun. We'll just have him wearing is, plaid shirts or whatever. Yeah, just plaid shirt. Uh, but this is kind of like similar to video games, right? The same problems like Uncanny Valley, you know. Yeah. Kind there's a guy. If you go to A-Frame and go to shopping, there's a little spinning guy that looks pretty compelling. <laughs> that's actually that's that I think was a a scanned uh, like a, a, a generated model from uh, from scans. Um, but one thing that was interesting that we found, I think, and we being just the VR industry, is that you don't need photorealism to sort of evoke um, emotional response. Uh-huh. At Daydream, uh, the Daydream, the Google VR initiative, um, there was a, there's basically a thing called Daydream Labs where we share internal experiments. And one of our internal prototyping teams had created an experiment where the other person in the scene with you that you're seeing is uh, nothing but a pair of googly eyes and like a hat and their hands waving in 3D space. But just from those googly eyes and from that hat and specifically from, from the hands, you can, we were able to actually def- understand who that other person was, you know, to recognize Kevin versus Diego versus Chris versus Oh, Casey. no kidding, really? Yeah, because I mean, because the model is picking up all the subtleties of, of posture and motion and sort of movement, that um, it comes through. So I guess what I'm saying is that um, even, a, even a low polygonal model with a low level of detail, once it's infused with the motion of a real person, really comes to life in, in a quite, uh, quite amazing way. That When combined with presence, like physical space, me being in your personal space, for example, uh, is is much more evocative than you might think. That's great, and and it's an extension of I don't know, I don't know what you want. Like, could you watch a movie in VR? Surely you could at some point, and it just makes it even more. Like, yeah, I can watch it, Moana and care about Moana, even though she's a cartoon, right? I think there's probably even more. So yeah, and actually, it, it's worth touching on this. Like, one of the things that makes VR so exciting right now is that so often in VR you have an idea and it turns out your idea is garbage but along the way of making that idea prototyping it you stumble across the really magical thing and there's there's an application called big screen for example and I'll describe big screen to you and it might sound kind of corny but well, we're all about mouth explaining things here on this podcast that are very hard to understand so please proceed <laughs> that's yeah. our brand that's our brand <laughs> mouth explaining the big screen is basically uh, let's say uh, Chris and I are in VR headsets on different sides of the country and we're in the same room together, and we're able to share what's on our, our desktop screens. And so it's like a it's a collaborative 
two-dimensional computing sharing environment in virtual reality. And that sounds bizarre, but it turns out to be incredibly compelling. It's kind of like sitting on a couch with your friends, uh, you know, looking at the same content at the same time. Um, Big Screen just took down a uh, just took a round of funding from Andreessen Horowitz um, uh, because it, you know they've stumbled across this really 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 fascinating social dynamic in virtual reality. So I think it's it, it right now discovering these social dynamics is one of the things that that makes virtual reality so exciting. It's it sort of the notion of VR will be anti-social. I think is it's true in the immediate physical surroundings of your room unless you have people playing with you in your home. But what it gains you is the ability to have very uh, interesting interactions with people on different sides of the country or all around the planet at the same time. Well, that's, so that's a question I had is how, how, how does VR get over the looking stupid problem? The, the kind of cliche, like nerd in a cave with, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the headset on swinging paddles at imaginary things. How does, does VR ever get past that? Or is that, is that a limiting factor to VR? I think it miniaturization takes care of a lot of that. I mean, look at the arc of mobile phones from Gordon Gecko, car phones in the 80s to where we are now. Um, but now the arc, that the degree of time that that takes is, is the question mark. And I think, like, again, if, if I'm picking up that headset and I want to be transported into a world that is nothing like the world, I'm, the real world, I'm going there to escape at the end of a day, for example, like I would with a video game, then that is inherently, as we said before, a kind of a few hours a day activity. But... If I am using a future virtual reality headset or headset, AR headset, to get work done, uh, that's a many hours of the day activity that begins to replace computing as we currently know it. So I think it really, it will depend on the ergonomics of the hardware and also the, the quote unquote jobs that we are hiring the computing devices to do. The social acceptance of VR will change too. You mm. walk down the street, you see people taking selfies with selfie sticks. You see people not walking where they're going, playing Pokemon Go. I mean, these things are... Years ago, you might find looking pretty stupid. These are fresh. We're talking about these things right now. We're talking about does staring down at our phones all the time make us less social and stuff. We'll just have all these conversations again in a few years about Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did you have a, I feel like you had an extra thought there, Kevin, that we maybe cut you off on. There. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Josh mentioned big screen. It's something I have. I have a headset on my, on my couch. And at night, my wife is sleeping. I can't necessarily turn on the TV to watch because I live in the studio. I just hop into my VR headset and I have this giant cinema screen just right in front of me. And I can watch a TV show or movie, um, possibly with other people, and not have a giant rectangle of light bursting into the room. And watching movies is interesting, too, because I'm on the plane and I just pop on a VR headset. There might be a crying baby right next to me, but I have that headset on. And there might be a seat back right in front of my face. But suddenly I'm transported into this movie theater oh, yes. where I'm just watching this giant movie on a hundred foot screen. We can start living more more in close quarters, but feel like we live in the country. <laughs> For well, better or worse. I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's interesting too. You know, I have I have this just I love it. My thirty four inch ultra wide cinema display. Or like not cinema, but just like thirty four inch ultra wide display. I love it. I, I play games on it, it's beautiful. And then but it maybe cost me a thousand dollars along a couple of years ago, but I could maybe get one of these like new $300 headsets that Microsoft is kind of talking about. And that could replace my computer, like my, my display because I put this on and suddenly I have a virtual reality with a million displays, right? It, it's kind of like 
we might be replacing like our desk environment. Yeah, rooms might get smaller. You might not need as much furniture. Right. Oh man, I could. Yeah, because you don't care what your how how much room you actually have if you're just like strapping into a headset. Huh. Yeah, VR VR is a really neat industry to work in if you're into the implications. Like the implications of it are what, why we're a lot of us are working on it, not necessarily the here and now. Yeah, that although the here and now is already really, already the here and now is already incredibly compelling, but it is sort of niche. But it is yeah, the implications of, the, of this going big, well, going smaller, and then going smaller, going bigger that are so interesting. I'm sure there's a bunch of like VC behind it and like ideas around it and stuff for that's for that very reason. Like it seems like there's almost no chance that this doesn't eventually have major impact on computing. Right. Yeah, so exactly. I'm I'm thinking of like some of our listeners, maybe they work on like an e-commerce site or something and they're just they're thinking to themselves right now, there's no way in HE double hockey sticks I can convince anyone at my company to like experiment with vr could you maybe give the case why they should or what you know or maybe what's the timeline of when they should care or what what are your thoughts yeah i, I think the there's a couple things there one is um is their business would their business benefit from uh the sort of on wonder that virtual reality is good at so if i'm airbnb for example i might be able to add an additional layer of an enticement to want to rent a property if i can put someone in a 360 degree environment of that property. If I'm CNN and my job is to produce sort of bite-sized nuggets of, of news content, well, it's one thing to watch Anderson Cooper in front of a hurricane on a seawall on a screen 10 feet away, but to be standing on that seawall next to him while he narrates what's all happening around me and it's the other news pieces of information projected in the world around me, that's fascinating. So that it, I think it will depend on sort of what the company's business model is and what it is they actually produce in terms of content. And they'll have to make a decision about whether or not VR is good for them. The second component here is the barrier to entry is still pretty high. So if I'm an e-commerce person who maybe knows, I don't know, Rails and, and PHP and maybe HTML and CSS, um, and I don't know any 3D, that's problematic because right now you need to know, it's a lot easier if you know some 3D, even if you use something like A-Frame to sort of cross the barrier to entry. Um, one of the things we're interested in doing is saying um, you shouldn't need to know WebGL uh, or use WebGL to make a to make a 3D website. Um, it would be interesting if we can really lean into the progressive enhancement and allow someone to say, uh, my 2D website uh, can now, uh, using CSS 3D transforms or something analogous to them, uh, begin to fill the 3D environment using just HTML and CSS. Um, that's something we're beginning to explore and we think holds a lot of promise. We actually built a CSS stereo browser uh, at Mozilla a couple of years ago as a prototype. And I would go home at night or I would be on a flight somewhere and using just CSS uh, and HTML and, and transforms and animations and transitions, I could actually build fairly compelling user interfaces and environments using just flat DOM elements. It sounds kind of ludicrous, but there's so many people who know that skill set. And, and our hunch is that with a couple smart additions to HTML and CSS, we'd be able to sort of empower people who aren't 3D graphics masters to progressively enhance their existing sites, which I think should also really lower the barrier to entry and sort of make a make it easier for an e-commerce, let's say, person, air quotes, mm-hmm. to, to jump into it. That seems like a big use case is the, like, I want to see the thing before I buy a thing. It just seems like a very, like, obvious place for VR to go. Yeah, my, my wife works in e-commerce, and right now, everyone just wants to do VR because... It's the hype cycle. We'll see that start to die down, but then the next 
the next compelling thing will be now there are millions of people that have a VR headset and there's tons of engagement. You have their full attention. So it's something that e-commerce companies, they look at now because it's hyped, but they'll look at later because there's lots of users. Right. And there are e-commerce platforms like Shopify VR, uh, Shopify, uh, they're, they're a very big e-commerce platform. And we might see them provide the, the tools and the ecosystem for normal e-commerce companies to be able to set up their, their platforms. Yeah. I mean, so it's kind of like a like a bonus like oh by the way if you go with Shopify you get this sweet VR store of all your products. Yeah, they've I know they they all the e-commerce companies say they've been doing a lot of experimentation. Shopify has been doing lots of stuff. They they've used Aframe, they've used Unity. Um and we're just kind of experimenting right now. Especially but, for the viewing of the product. Like I mean, I'm sure at some point it'll be like put this on to and then go into the virtual closet and maybe I have a 3D model of myself in the future and I go into the virtual closet and put things on to see how they look on me. That seems down the road, but even now it would be nice to like zoom around some shoes before I buy them. Uh, possibly. It's, it's hard to know the immediate benefits of e-commerce because right now... Yeah, we just don't know. You can just see a giant list on a 2D display of all these products. Um, what's the benefit of seeing a shoe in 3D? It might be for furniture, you might be able to see the scale. That might really help. Or maybe VR is just used as a promotional or marketing tool. You suck the user into your story and your company's story, your company's mission. Um, say you're at REI and you put in a headset and you're in this camping uh, backcountry wilderness. Yeah, I saw the I saw the Doctor Strange promo thing on the Vive too, and it was pretty sweet. That was kind of a perfect match. Walking on the sides of buildings and stuff. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by CodePen, the app I co-founded and worked on. Um, one of the things that you get when you sign up for Pro account at CodePen is a feature called Collab Mode, which is, you know, you use the CodePen editor as normal. It has 100% of all the normal features that you have on, in the CodePen editor. But you share that URL with somebody they could be anonymous. They could be a CodePen user. They could also be CodePen Pro. It doesn't matter. Anybody. You, only you have to be pro to use collab mode. And multiple people can type at once. And depending on what pro plan you're on how, is how many people can get into that room. But it's, you know, it's like, I always say it's Google Docs like in that you know, there's multiple cursors and you're all typing at the same time, but you're not trampling on each other. You know, CodePen figures out where that typing should be. Everybody stays in sync, you know, it's not pushing you around awkwardly or anything. It's really amazing how it works. And in fact, in the early days, we tried to write that ourselves. There's like a mathematical concept for how this document syncing kind of things work that involves something called operational transforms that are very complicated and weird. And we went through about three iterations of writing it ourselves and uh, using different kind of message bus systems to figure it out and, and trying to like adjust the levers of like how fast do you want it to feel versus how accurate you want it to feel. And it's all very difficult stuff to get to work that's why it's a pro feature that's why we have to charge for it there's a lot of de- there's a lot of hours put behind this feature of collab mode and you know what people use it for uh, for hiring a lot they go into a room we just i just heard from a user who got a job because the company that they are I, i'm not going to say who they are just because who knows if they they want to know this or not but uh, they popped them into a room and then they just kind of co-coded with one of the developers there to get a sense for how good that person was anyway that's totally an aside 
The way that we're powering Collab Mode now is literally the same APIs that power Google Docs. Google has a, an API that you can use, their real-time API that does all this operational transform stuff, and it just made sense for us to use that API. And ever since we started doing that, it's been really solid and really robust and a really good, nice feature. Of course, we, you know, it's still a complicated feature to code anyway, just because of the nature of programming, but uh, Collab Mode works really nicely on CodePen, and you can have access to it co-code together and it has all the other real-time features like seeing what you're coding as you're doing it uh, in the CodePen preview area. I mean, just one of the many features you get from upgrading at CodePen. I'd be curious what your thoughts are. Like what, like what, you know, there's, there's a 2d representation of an experience, you know, like, like e-commerce. I'm very good at the 2d experience. I just, I shop so fast uh, but the 3D experience would would probably be slow because it would be this kind of immersive experience that Josh was talking about. This kind of like like uh, REI is a great one. Like you're you're looking at tents, but you're not just looking at a tent on a website. You're now in a forest somewhere, looking at a tent, walking in it, seeing how big it is. Does it fit my family and my kids? And I'm going camping this weekend, so I'm thinking about it. Um, but like, yeah, you like. I guess what's you know I, what what experiences do you see being enhanced? Like just amazing now that we can do it in 3D. I think one for me is always intriguing me is the notion of um, we're familiar with interstitial ads on the mobile web. You know, um, uh, now this is maybe an unpopular example to pick, but by the way, we got to cut over to an advertisement here, so we'll we'll be oh. right back. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you can imagine uh, you have a VR headset on. You're using Chrome VR or Carmel or one of the VR browsers that are going to come out this year. Uh, you click on a link, and the incoming site begins to load. And before you get to your content, an interstitial ad appears. It's for Mercedes or a car brand. But instead of seeing you know, a flat rendering of a pretty Mercedes on a 2D screen, you're seeing the Mercedes like next to you, maybe all around you. Maybe you're in the Mercedes, and you have a sense of the scale of the thing and, and the refinement of the finishes. And you're not seeing it static against a flat background. You're actually in the Mercedes as it drives along the cliffside road down to Stinson Beach near San Francisco. You know, And you're experiencing what it is to be in that car and to sort of be in the car commercial. Um, it's trying to do the same thing that a TV commercial would do or a you know or an animated banner ad on a 2D site but it's just doing it much more effectively so i think that like the things being sold and the the sort of like lizard brain emotional reactions that the advertisers trying to get to are the same it's just that the power of the medium allows us to do it in an entirely new and, and possibly much more effective fashion i saw a presentation once on one of the well, i don't know potential issues is of coding VR is that you st still the most like compelling way to code is like looking at a retina display, you know, and not, and without your headset on and that there's then that disconnect between I have to code some stuff. And then if I want to experience it, then I put this thing on and then I didn't like what I did. So I need to change it. You know, we're so used to coding things for the same screen that we're looking at. And isn't one of the problems like it's like low res or something like they have this, this demo where there's like a 2001, a space odyssey obelisk in 3d space. And upon it was projected the code so that perhaps someday when the, the resolution was high enough, you could code right on this obelisk. Kind of right. I think there's, there's two ways of thinking of that. One is that, um, 
you know, resolution will get better in virtual reality headsets to the point at which you should, in theory, be able to effectively, you know, bring your development, your classic code-based development processes into VR and then take advantage of all the nice things about VR, as you said before, like the, the surface area for screens or the ability to sort of like see the environment you're working on all around you as you program it. You know, like that's fascinating. At the same time, um, I think that there's also the opportunity to enable new forms of creativity that just were impossible before. So, for example, for someone to make in uh, the desktop uh, computing environment what can be made in Tiltbrush in a couple moments, uh, it would have taken a lot of time and a lot of skills. But in Tiltbrush, I can put a controller in someone's hand and have them painting environments, worlds, characters in seconds because of the level of intuition. And, 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 and so I think that we should not look at VR and think about what we lose. We should look at VR and think about what we gain. The same way, for example, that cameras on cell phones uh, didn't enable anyone to do faster development coding, but they enabled an entire generation to actually express themselves through tools like Vine and Instagram. So again, what does VR gain us that was previously impossible? That's the interesting question to me. Well, yeah, it's not the iPhone or whatever is not a a great camera, but it allowed you to share your photos instantly and and do all that. Like, yeah, exactly. it made made sharing photos awesome. Is there something inherent about the technology of VR that locks it to this idea of having a headset? Or is there some like major breakthrough that could happen where it just gets projected into reality or whatever, headset-free? Or is it, it like take advantage of some eyeball science thing that's just it's just not gonna happen? It's it's a headset only technology. I think this again, the trend in computing is faster, cheaper, smaller. So, you know, I it, I have no doubt that as we, the industry goes forward, that it will get smaller, you know, faster, cheaper. Um, And as that happens, really interesting use cases become possible. I think like the reason a company like Magic Leap takes in a couple billion dollars in funding is because of the promise of what's called, you know, mixed reality. And there's way too many acronyms, but the notion of mixed reality is mixed reality is sort of um, instead of putting you in the orchard, it puts the orchard in your hands, so to speak. Like it can integrate objects into the world around you with a feeling of, 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 of complete realism. And I'm not speaking from any privileged information. Um, I'm just, you know, quoting what, yeah. Have you seen all the same demos the rest of us has? Like that was the ultimate mysterious thing, right? They just got piles of money dumped on them. And there's like one video with mixed reality and you're like, well, that really is cool. But it's like the numbers don't seem to add up there. Yeah. Even if you take all, even if you, beside Magic Leap, like HoloLens from Microsoft is already realizing the promise of this, where you put on a headset and you're seeing the real world, but you're injecting elements into that real world and you're tracking them with such perfect stickiness to the real world environment that it can become hard to discern what's real and what's fake as the technology improves and improves and improves. I, I, I think that a lot of us working in VR are betting that that is sort of the way that this plays out and that what VR ends up being is a really wonderful incubation uh, environment in which to sort of prove out the technologies and the workflows and some of the creative possibilities that lead we to that. We have fun conversations on ethics, right? Like, oh, you made this too real. Yeah, well, you bring that up, but like one of the reasons I'm excited about the web is that because the web is ultimately mediated by the user and the user agent, the user retains control over the environment around them. And the reason that's important is that if I go to a website or if I go to a VR site that where someone is being abusive, 
uh, or someone is throwing up some really horrendous content in front of me, in theory, the browser can actually be sort of become kind of an active point defense layer. It can keep me safe. You can imagine a permission for personal uh, for personal space. You know, like a website cannot draw within ten feet of me until I grant a permission to do so. <laughs> right? Like wow. on, on the web, with the web's ability to sort of do per index per object parsability, a whole bunch of really fascinating use cases open up, including accessibility, including personal safety. So it's one of the reasons I'm bullish on the web as a platform for virtual reality. Yeah, because I mean, built in, it's like, do you want your user object to interact with another person's user object? You can just be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> As, right. Actually, no. no. That's, yeah, that's not why I came here. Uh, to do this. So you mentioned Mozilla, or not, Kevin, you're at Mozilla. Josh is at Google. What What's up with, like, Microsoft obviously cares about this, right? They just haven't jumped on web VR. Same with Apple. So actually they have. Um, oh. So Microsoft uh, is uh, one of the participants in the spec definition of the WebVR uh, API, and they've announced plans integrated into Windows Holographic. Now, the, the specific contours of that plan, uh, I don't think, aren't, aren't quite clear yet, um, but uh, it's really exciting. I think so for HoloLens and perhaps also for Windows VR, they're looking at WebVR as being one of the building blocks that, that developers can utilize. So that's really exciting. And then I have to give a shout out to Samsung as well, that Samsung's been shipping a uh, VR browser uh, since uh, last year, and they're adding web VR support so that VR browser doesn't just look at 2D sites, it looks at 360 sites. And then just the other day, they announced plans to bring that VR browser to Pixel devices. So it's not just something you need uh, to have a Gear VR, uh, their own custom hardware to have. You can actually use it on a on a Daydream device as well. I think as of two days ago with their with their beta channel. So I think that like you're seeing a lot of participation from from multiple vendors, um, which is really 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 exciting right now. Oculus, Microsoft. Uh, Samsung uh, and Google most notably, but there's some other players kind of floating around expressing interest as well. Yeah, like a Firefox. <laughs> uh, yes. So f- to give some update on the browsers, uh, for desktop VR, Firefox recently announced intent to ship web VR. There's been, there's been some obstacles that have risen, but we might see web VR shipping to hundreds of millions of users in How do you summer. use it now then? You got a, is it a flag or whatever? Uh, you so a good resource to go to is webvr.rocks. It'll show you all the browsers, all the devices you need. For Firefox, you download Firefox Nightly, which is a nightly experimental build, and that's enabled by default, WebVR, so you don't need to flip any flags. Okay, cool. I mean, it's, it's, so it's following the same track that anything, like CSS Grid is following. It's just a, it's a thing, and it's, it's, as soon as it feels stable, it ships, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think you can get Chromium. Uh, I think Chrome is focusing more on mobile right now. And Microsoft Edge, I feel, is pretty close. Well, how interesting. It depends on what... Depends on what... Different browsers support different devices, even. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, that's how early it is right now. So, for example, Chrome for Android um, in beta channel uh, supports WebVR, but it supports it on uh, Pixel devices. Only Google. Yeah, and it's because the amount of work involved in actually getting it working anywhere is, is pretty significant. So this isn't the kind of thing where you can just flip a switch and roll it everywhere. You actually have to kind of take things one at a time. So when Firefox ships, it'll be Vive and Oculus, but not the Google ones. It's the exact opposite situation. Kevin would know that, I think. <laughs> uh, for Google, I think... When Firefox ships, like you were saying, if, you're, if you download the nightly version of it, you're looking at support for... Vive and Oculus yeah. and not Cardboard or Daydream or whatever. Yeah, this is for desktop. Um, for 
for maybe Firefox for Android, you would just oh, that's right, because those two things are phone things. Uh, you, it's always, you just gotta remember yeah, that. There's a desktop browser and the mobile browser. Yep, yeah, yeah. There's like a weird distinction there that I haven't quite solidified in my brain yet. And then when, so the columns on WebVR.rocks, these are literal tables for people listening on the radio. There's like the on along the left hand side is like Vive, Oculus, uh, uh, Microsoft Hololens. There's a Samsung thing too, isn't there? Yeah, oh yeah, that's listed in some of these charts. And then there's a PlayStation makes a thing too, but presumably that's just for PlayStation, right? So it's like not the concern of this website i imagine and then you can look at apple and it's just x is all the way down but what what that means is you can still use i can still view web vr stuff on my iphone somehow right or no yeah use there's, there's a polyfill made by boris Mus from google um which one can utilize to sort of get a, a degree of backwards compatibility so instead of your head turning driving the motion of the scene it is your phone turning in 3d space that drives the motion of the scene it's the yeah. and it's it, accelerometer. It's okay. I mean, yeah, and it's okay. I mean, and, and obviously you don't have motion controls or, or or controllers by default on the iPhone, so it's it's a bit limited. But does but, it normally uh, do it through your literally looks at your eyeballs or like instead of accelerometer? How would you move, like on the Google Android? How do you move around? Uh, so it's sensors built into the headset that track the user's motion, uh, either their head motion or their body's motion in 3D space, a combination depending on the platform of, of the device sensors in the headset, but also in the room uh, around the user in the case of something like the... Oh, right, because you, you literally put on this daydream thing and it's got stuff in it. Yeah, and in case, I mean, it gets complicated, but probably a bit boring. Daydream utilizes the sensors in your phone. Um, Vive uses sort of an outside-in tracking system, as, as does Oculus. Oculus uses cameras. Vive uses basically a, a laser grid, which is so awesome. <laughs> so the the Vive is, it, it makes sense. Is that's the most expensive? That's the most posh, expensive VR thing you can buy right now, as far as I understand. Right? It's seven hundred and ninety nine dollars. So, yeah, yeah, and moreover, it's it's fairly involved to set up, and you also need a pretty beefy desktop PC. And that's not uh, app too, right? That's not a Mac, not currently, unless, you know, Tim made that comment a couple of days ago um, to a shareholders meeting about, you know, we're not giving up on the Pro and the creative line. It's been, I think, 1,100 days since the Mac Pro was updated, so we're all waiting with bated breath for Apple to get us act together in the oh. creative and Pro space. Well, I would, I would take a bet on it. I'm going to go, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Interesting. So you don't think there'll be another Mac Pro ever again? No, I think they'll do something else. They'll just keep making these Mac, the laptop line just very, very good. But yeah, I think they'll yeah. I think they'll kill the little new, sphere thing, or it'll be something. There'll new. be a new Mac. No, Pro and they'll keep her like on the iMac. Ten the iPhone. I'm, they'll consider the iMac the Pro thing. Oh yeah, okay. I I think you're right, but I don't want you to be. I know. <laughs> Did you have like over a thousand people working on AR secretly at somewhere? Something's gonna pop out. Soon. Yeah. So what? I'm, I I missed this, and I apologize. There's VR and A. What is AR as opposed to VR? AR is just uh, whereas a VR surrounds you completely within a, a synthetic world that you can only see the synthetic world. Augmented reality is like wearing a pair of sunglasses, walking outdoors, seeing reality. Which is then occasion. Which is which is harder? Like, uh, augmented reality. Yeah, a lot more um, factors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to yeah. track your. You have to track yourself globally. Like <laughs> you need your your whole GPS um, in position, world position, and then you have to overlay objects finally with fine-tuned tracking on top of other objects while having your head tracking also 
um, well tracked. Yeah, and the it's like yeah, go ahead. The, this is oh, <laughs> this is probably a horrible analogy, but it's like the difference between building a float tank and a car. <laughs> yeah, VR you can fly in VR and AR, you're more grounded, but you're still tied to the world. Yeah, like like placing a, a whatever a Minecraft on a table is difficult because you need to know where the table is. You need to know where the Minecraft blocks go. It's like double, triple the problems almost. But, yeah, I mean, and, and um, if you look at the industry right now, like VR is being sold as a consumer device uh, with that level of ease and access, um, even though it's still pretty clunky. But a Gear VR makes it pretty easy. For example, or a Daydream or a Pixel or an Oculus. HoloLens, for example, is a very expensive device with a very limited reach right now. And HoloLens represents the state of the art on available AR. So the AR will just lag behind VR, but VR in turn will be sort of the incubation chamber in which a lot of uh, augmented reality develops because they do share enough of the same problem space. Uh, Kevin, if somebody wants to jump into to web VR in A-Frame, how do they do that? Yeah, uh, just go to aframe.io and that's all the information you need. We have a Slack channel with over 3,000 people and we're all talking and we have a Twitter where we share off people's A-Frame projects uh, A-Frame VR Okay, cool and then if people aren't following you individually and giving you money, how can they do that? <laughs> people don't need to give me money but I'm also on Twitter <laughs> uh, and go Kevin A-N-D You can lose to Kevin at poker <laughs> You know about that huh? <laughs> well, Side hustle yeah. <laughs> Side hustle Alright uh josh how can people follow you and give you money uh don't don't give me money I, <laughs> <laughs> please stop sending me money um uh, uh at josh carpenter on twitter is the best way and that's a good channel to follow me I, I talk a lot about web vr um and sort of where the industry is going so that that's the best channel for me cool and i guess we'll probably see some stuff from chrome pretty soon then <laughs> Hey, exciting. All right. Well, thank you uh, for uh, being on the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this and your podcatcher choice. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. That's how people follow, find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. Uh, tweet about the show. That's also how people find out about the show. And uh, if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. Get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. There may even be a web VR company there. I don't know. Sometimes there is. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. And Chris, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Mm, ShopTalkShow.com. <laughs>